Hello and welcome to another edition of the Busby Babe podcast. Your ears are not deceiving you. This is not Colin Dams introducing the show today. This is uh, Nathan Heitchell. Colin uh, has started his new school year and has already swamped. Uh, clearly he didn't do a summer reading. So it's just myself and Polly Questel on the uh, on the old Busby Babe podcast today. Polly, how are we doing? Do you think Colin's learning about World War II at school? I mean, he is a history major, so it seems like that's in the cards. Maybe maybe he should find a podcast to uh, to talk about it on. Yeah, right. Well, we we are we're babysitter free today. Right, we could just say whatever we want. We could just this could be a USMNT podcast if we really felt like it. But, we could. Uh, and and Brent has told us he's still like two episodes behind, so he won't yeah. find out for like another two. He may not find out until next season. Yeah, well, well, we won't have any retribution. I mean, this is this is really off the rails. But of course, it's a uh, five twenty five Eastern Tuesday. August 18th, uh, Colin Dams has tweeted about five minutes ago, so had time to had time to tweet, but not the pod. He claims he has class coming up. He just responded to the tweet. <laughs> oh, that's true. He is in grad school, so night classes. We'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. But I'm sorry, but aren't like classes remote these days? You know, well, they are now at uh, UN, University of North Carolina after at Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The uh, the university by where I live has a uh, just restarted classes and i forgot how nice it was or i'd gotten used to how nice it was to be able to park in front of my house and now i can't so thanks vcu um but anyway that's not what we're here to talk about we are here to talk about uh manchester united who ended their season with a little bit of a whimper after we had uh you know probably one of the more roller coaster seasons that i can remember uh there's been a lot of bad there's been a lot of good there's been a lot of meh and um I'd say we probably ended the season on meh. So, you know, what was your initial thoughts, Polly, on the uh, Sevilla game? Just like, damn. Uh, when I finally had the time to process it, it was like we ended the season basically exactly the way that we started the season, with a game that we thoroughly dominated and didn't take our chances, scored on a penalty, um, and a mistake at the back cost us. And, you know, Mistakes at the back have been happening all year, and like they happen to every team. You just you don't remember them because the ball doesn't go in the net. You know, oh that guy left, you know, left somebody at the back post open for a header, and he heads it wide. Nobody remembers that your center back left the guy open. You remember when your fullback slips, and or you know your left back passes the ball directly to Pierre Emerick Aubameyang. And he puts the ball in the net. Um, so these we just we just have a habit of too often our mistakes end up in the back in the back of the net. But when we don't make mistakes, we don't concede goals, which I guess the good thing that's probably the easier thing to cut. It's not that like we're bad. It's just you know cut the mistakes out, which is a mental thing, and that's probably an easier thing to work on than we got to figure out and learn how to play defense as a whole. But that's that was the story. It was, uh, we probably could have played better in the first half than we, than we did. And then the second half, we came out guns blazing. Marcial was cleaning on goal like two or three times. And again, goal goalkeeper just makes himself big, does that Superman and ball hits his foot and doesn't go in. And, you know, there was one sequence in front where I forgot, I forgot how many chances we had at it, but it was one of those like, how did that not go? The kind you keep seeing in the NHL playoffs right now. Like, how did that not go in? And uh, balls were getting blocked, balls were missed, and it, it it just happens. That's football. Like sometimes, you know, you you do you could do so many different things, but there's an element. The reason that we watch is because there's an element of randomness, and the reason that and that randomness is why the best team doesn't always win. And United were 100% the best team on the day, and they didn't win. Yeah, and like we kind of uh, I mentioned off air before we started, it was particularly uh, triggering for me as a as a FIFA 20 player, just because it, that was like a quintessential FIFA game for anybody who's a United fan and a FIFA fan and that watched that, where it was, you know, just looking at the base, the box score, uh, United 20 shots, Sevilla nine, uh, United seven shots on target, Sevilla three. Um, granted, they did concede uh, 54% possession to Sevilla, but I mean. For all intent and purposes, anybody with eyeballs who watched that game, like United were the more dangerous team. And the XG numbers show that as well, where 
United was pretty close to probably deserving three goals in this game, whereas Sevilla, on their three shots on target, deserved uh, 0.9 goals, and yet they won 2-1. So it was one of, the, like you said, it was one of those classic games where it's just Sevilla wins, and it, it's one of those things where it almost feels predestined for them. Just they're serial winners of this competition, and you know, if you want to look at all the other things to add more context to it, certainly you got to think at this point every United player is just exhausted and. I'm sure they everybody's just got to be thrilled that the season's over and they can take a moment to to rest and reflect and try and get ready for 2021 at this point. But you know, still kind of a disappointing result. Um, yeah, and I mean, you say like, yeah, they conceded more of the possession to Sevilla, but 74% of this game was played in the middle third of the pitch and in Sevilla's third of the pitch. So. I mean, like 41% in the middle of the, in the middle pitch, the middle third, 33 in Sevilla's third. So yeah, Sevilla had more of the ball, but it's not like they were, you know, they, it's not like they were sweltering us and keeping us under siege. It was exactly the opposite. We were basically sweltering them. The reason, you know, it's just that we didn't have all the ball in the, in that final third and they got two chances to go back the other way. And we made two mistakes and that's, you know, the, you're in the, you're in a cup semifinal. The margins are that thin that yep. a mistake will probably end up in the back of your net. And you know, just like at the beginning half of the season, United are were hard earned. They had a penalty in the second half that wasn't given. Um, it wasn't to me. It wasn't questionable. Bruno Fernandez got straight up body checked. I mean, that is. I I play hockey and I grew up playing hockey and with that defender did was he came over and he took the body and like that is exactly how your hockey coaches will tell you to do it is you don't look at the they'll tell you don't look at the puck guys coming in you go and you take him you take the body and it was as clean and perfect a body check as you'll ever see the problem is we're not playing hockey we are playing football and that's not legal in football and if that's outside the box the referee would have no problem blowing his whistle and and awarding a free kick and somehow inside the box um, he, he blows it off. At least he, he made the motion that, you know, he put his hand to his ear and he, and put his other hand out saying, hold up, like we're checking, but somehow the referee and the VAR both said no. Like, and I don't know how that happened, especially because the first half, the penalty that United did get uh, when Rashford took a shot and then, the guy comes in and, and gets him late on a challenge, a hundred percent a penalty, but one that is never called in this sport. In this sport, it's like if you get the shot off, they go, "Up, oh, you got the shot off," and it doesn't matter anymore. So it was rare to see them. That's why it was like when when they gave the penalty, everybody I was with was confused. They're like, "What? Well, where's the penalty?" Because you think when Rashford gets that shot off, okay, like you know, you could come and maul the guy. They're not going to call anything because they never do. And it was it was great to see like, hey, you no 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 like. If you still foul a guy after he gets the shot off, it's still a foul. And the ref was on top of that to give it. You know, earlier this season, Martial got pulled down in the box against Crystal Palace and he got a shot off. And therefore, they just said, oh, no penalty when it was a clear cut penalty. And had he just not shot, would have gotten it. So it was great to see the ref actually following through there. And then in the second half, there's a body check that's clear as day. And both the ref and the VAR go, nah, nothing there for me. I mean, that... It, we shouldn't be complaining about it, and I'm, I'm happy to see that you know a lot of people aren't because at the end of the day, uh, what this team has played 230 minutes in the last what nine ten days and, and haven't scored a goal from open play. That's that's just not good. It's just not good enough. No, it definitely looks like they you know were maybe reverting to some bad habits here and there, but I still thought the movement on offense was pretty pretty decent. I mean, it, like we said, they. There was a lot of chances created, but, um, you know, looking at the penalties themselves, too, uh, speaking of getting shots off, it, everyone was very quick on Twitter when we were awarded the penalty to, you know, make fun of Manchester United, how many goals that they've scored on penalties. And, of course, us being Manchester, you know, very, very fervent Manchester United fans and defenders would just say, and I think Brent summed it up the best, is like, Maybe if you broke boys had, you know, some attackers that could actually be dangerous in the box, you would draw more penalties, too. Um, and that's certainly been an advantage that United's had at the end of the day. Like you can't afford to have Rashford or Martial or Greenwood feel that comfortable in the box. And so it's going to have a lapse where you have that kind of foul. 
that leads to a, a penalty. But I almost wonder if that same reputation that, you know, people were making fun of with United getting that first penalty almost plays into the whole, you know, referees don't feel like if they call one penalty for a team, like it is going to be next to impossible. Like somebody would almost have to pull out a machete and cut somebody down to award that second penalty to a team inside the same game. But I, I think for the most, I, I got to think neutrals thought, all right, I mean, you can't do that. You know, the, the, some right. of those, some of those just tackles in the box. I mean, you just, those challenges aren't, they're not appropriate and it would be a free kick anywhere else on the field. But because you were inside that 18 box, the, the referee's like, well, I don't want to decide the game based on calling too many penalties. And it's just like, no, you need to follow the letter of the law. Wherever and and you that's are what Florida is supposed to be there for. Because like, yep. you understand that there is that human bias in there. And like UEFA uses VAR way better than um, than the Premier League does. And UEFA, they're not afraid to overturn decisions or say, hey, go to the monitor and have a look, have another whoopsie for yourself. <laughs> I.e. <eat> Paris. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I wrote about it in the chippy a couple weeks ago, how like I just think that the refs hate VAR so much that their plan is to kind of sabotage it. Um, but in UEFA, that's not the case. And it there there will obviously be that human element or human bias or something, you know, and that's why Sir Alex Ferguson was so good before games being like when he used to say things in the media. Um, oh, you know, these players are going to try to do this or, you know, like or he used to, you know, to the referees in Europe don't protect Ronaldo enough because he gets hacked and it's like you're trying to get more fouls there. Uh, and I, I, I do. And Solskjaer does do some of this. It, it gets blown over because he doesn't have the panache of a Klopp or a Mourinho or a Ferguson or anything, but he does speak like someone who he does have a lot of Ferguson when he talks and like, and he, and he does say things like, Hey, we run into the box. Like if, if, if I were a defender, I wouldn't want to be facing our attackers. Like we earn these penalties and, and they do like, yeah, there was a one against Norwich that, Dan James won that he shouldn't have won. Like, and VAR looked at it and still gave it to him. And that's a mistake. But there have been others that weren't given that should be. And it balances out. Like, but for the most part, these penalties have been penalties. Um, and that's what VAR's supposed to be is for when the ref misses one because of he missed it or a bias or something or, you know, his view is blocked. Any reason is there's supposed to be somebody else watching to say, hey, man, we kind of missed one here. Like, remember – at the Etihad this year, Rashford gets taken down in the box on a trip that was clear as day. Bernardo Silva, it was almost exactly what happened to Fernandez. Bernardo Silva just came in and took the body. Um, he, he didn't go for the ball, and you could see it on the replay. You know, he was he was going for Rashford the entire time, and the referee said, no penalty. Uh, ball went out for a goal kick, and he said, hold up, wait, we're looking. Penalty. Because, you know, VAR looked at him and said, no, 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 that's, that's a penalty. Like, I was with an Arsenal fan who was right away was like VAR has to look at that because that's a penalty. He's like, I want you guys to lose, but that's a penalty. Um, and that's what VAR is supposed to do. And it, it's a failure on that to not give that penalty. But again, like you gotta, you gotta finish your chances and United got, they created enough, you know, like at, in the first half of the season, I always said they weren't, First of all, they weren't taking their chances. They're a poor finishing team. They they really are. Um, Martial is is good, not elite. Greenwood is very good, but teams are starting to figure him out. And Rashford is a poor finisher. And the and the, you know overall, they're a pretty wasteful team. And at the beginning of the season, I said they weren't creating enough to account for a mistake at the back and to account for the fact that they are a poor finishing team. They did that on Sunday. They just didn't finish enough. Like they, they created more than they were creating at the beginning of the season. And it's difficult that they're, they're dealing with the injuries, you know, Brandon Williams, who I actually thought had a really good game with one really big asterisk. Um, you know, obviously he was at fault for the first goal and you know, that, that first goal is 50% of the reason why we lost but take that goal out, and for the other 89 minutes of the game, I actually thought he had a really good game. Um, but he struggles in this in this system. He he's constantly turning onto his right foot in the buildup, which slows us down, and it allows you know opponents to reset. And 
It allows them to back off. And, and a lot of times they, they allow players like Fred and Maguire and Lindelof to walk the ball up the pitch, which condenses them and condenses the, the attack. And it makes it harder for your, your players like Rashford and Martial and Pogba and, and Fernandez to get the ball in space in, in places to be, to be dangerous. And it's, it's not Williams's fault. He's just not left footed. So in a way it is his fault, but it's also not his fault. It, it, you know, it's the way the system is. And I'm not, he's not a square peg in a round hole. He's just not as big of a circle as Luke Shaw's, you know, Luke Shaw, you put, you put that peg in and it fits snugly. Brandon Very Williams, snugly. Yeah. Brandon Williams is a the same shape but smaller, and so you get in there, you stick him in that fits, but there's a lot more wiggle room, and it's not yeah. as it's not as snug. And then just in the final third, when he does make those overlaps, Rashford will be standing on the edge of the box. Williams will come and, and overlap, and they just let him go. And you know maybe that's Williams's fault for maybe that's United's fault for being like, hey, Williams is open and not giving him the ball. Maybe it's Williams' fault for when he gets the ball, he he doesn't do any. He's not dangerous enough with it. That, but defenders don't feel the need to go mark his run, and that means that there's two or three defenders on Rashford. And the reason that you make that overlapping run is to is to pull one of the defenders away. And now Rashford's going one on one. He's got space. And say what you want about the attacking threat of Luke Shaw, but when he does it, uh, somebody follows him, and it, it creates space and. When Williams is doing it, it's not creating space, and it, it makes it so much more difficult for Rashford, and that's really a large reason why Rashford has has struggled um, since Shaw got hurt. You know, he has one goal since Luke Shaw went down, and that was the fantastic him and Martial only have uh, Martial scored the second against Copenhagen, but. They, they stopped scoring when Shaw went down and, and their only goals came against Crystal Palace, which were entirely created by the two of them and not because of like great team play. Yeah. I, I have noticed that on Twitter right now, this has been incredible uh, PR for Luke Shaw and anybody who was doubting him. Cause I think we are, he played better this season, a lot better than he has. And I think we were starting to finally see like, you know, what the contributions of what Luke Shaw looks like versus when we don't have Luke Shaw and we, Got to see little spurts of that when it would go from like Luke Shaw to Ashley Young, but I feel like maybe the gap's a little bit it has been a lot bigger this year only because Luke has played so much better. And so when you saw when that when that team is humming properly and Luke Shaw's combining with Rashford, they're clearly comfortable playing with each other because they've been together for a while now on that side. You know, it, it really does start to sputter out. We've seen in the last couple games, United just are not scoring goals. Um, certainly not from open play. Um, and not by having those combinations that we were starting to really uh, fall in love with and overreact to maybe about two months ago. Um, so, yeah, Luke Shaw, <laughs> new contract yeah, I mean, inbound. Right. I mean, people hate him. People hate him. Like, he's not the best. He's not the best by any means. He is a very average left back. But, like, but he's our best option. It's not even our best option. You don't need a superstar at no. every position, and you can't have a superstar at every position. You know, Real Madrid tried that at, at yeah. the beginning of the century. And they, you know, you, you don't have the financial ability to put a superstar at every position. Uh, and football is a weak link game. Your weakest player is going to drag you down more than your best player will lift you up. And what Shaw does is just allows everybody else. Shaw's the same thing as Matic. Like, he just allows everyone else to play, to be more efficient. Like, he allows everything else to run at their maximum efficiency. And, yeah, you can upgrade on Luke Shaw. And if we were playing, if we played, this, if you know, if you put Luke Shaw into Liverpool's team, Liverpool would have a problem because Luke Shaw is not Andy Robertson. He's not good enough going forward to do what Andy Robertson does. But yeah. we're not Liverpool, and we play a different way. Like Liverpool don't have midfielders that create the way Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba do. Nope. So they put their creativity onto their fullbacks. And basically have their fullbacks be their number 10 and their number eight, whereas their midfielders play as, as sixes and defensive and, and provide cover for the fullbacks. We play with the midfielders and our fullbacks just provide extra auxiliary outlets to, create, to take defenders off, create space for people. And he does his job. You know, with people that complain that we're not getting enough assists from our fullback, we don't need them. That's not the way our team is built. Um, 
And of course, you know, everybody's going to look, well, well, but Liverpool gets so, okay, but Liverpool are the obvious exception to the rule. Like, you know, Juan Bissaka, if you take Aaron, if you take uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold out of the equation, Juan Bissaka finished, he had four assists in, um, as a right back this season. That is the most United have had from a right back since Raphael had four in 2012, which was the most they've had since Gary Neville had four in 2004. Like, we never really had big um, production from there. And only three full, three or four fullbacks finished with more assists than Juan Basaka. And they had six and five. So he's right up there at 22 years old, a player who was not signed for his offensive ability. He was nope. very much signed for his defensive ability. And we said he doesn't have any offensive ability. He needs to develop that. He finished right behind players like Serge Aurier, who are known for their attacking ability. They're known for their crossing. And he's 22 and he's getting better. Yeah, and I, I think a little bit of it, too. If Alexander Arnold wasn't putting up the gaudy numbers that he is, is Aaron Wambasaka taking as much stick about, you know, his quote unquote lack of offensive ability? Um, just, I think people are seeing inside the league what another right back is doing. And so the expectation is, well, we're Manchester United. We should have that. Um, but like you said, it doesn't necessarily work for our system. And, you know, for what we want to do, Aaron Wambasaka minus, uh, that first goal against Sevilla has been pretty freaking incredible second. all year. <laughs> yeah. The second goal. So, and you'd like to think, I mean, Greenwood came on late in the season as like a, you know, permanent markered in. Uh, right wing starter before that it was Daniel James and it, it's been a little chaotic at that position. And so it's probably affected uh, Juan Bissaka. He certainly doesn't have somebody that he's got full on chemistry with yet in that position. Well, and, he, had, he had no chemistry with, yeah. with Dan. He actually, he's just exhausted. That's really yeah. all it is. He's exhausted. And the only and person who's probably played more minutes than Juan Bissaka was Harry Maguire. Yeah. And that's not just, that's just not even on the team. That's like in the league. I believe are the numbers. I mean, it's insane how many minutes those two have played. And and Harry Maguire stays at the back and occasionally marauds forward. Aaron yeah. Wan-Bissaka is asked to bomb up and down the pitch the entire game. And Greenwood, especially once he started, Greenwood he opened things up for him because Greenwood would would tuck inside. But sometimes he tuck inside too early, and that's you know. Juan Bissaka needed someone, you know, the problem with him and Dan James was he'd push forward, but Dan James would stay wide. And all of a sudden they were both going into the same space and one player could mark the two of them. Then when you bring in a Greenwood or a Mata who cut inside on their left foot, all of a sudden that space was open for Juan Bissaka. But occasionally Greenwood would have those striker instincts and he'd just drift to the middle too soon. In which case, Juan Bissaka is not overlapping. Now he's just coming down as your right winger and the space isn't there. And there were times where Solskjaer had to tell Greenwood, like, hey, you need to stay wide. Um, and that's the balance you have to find with Greenwood is you need to you need him to stay wide because then it opens up space for Juan Bissaka to be dangerous. We saw him do that brilliantly right out of the lockdown. He had two assists in like their first four games, which is half his assist on the year. Um, yeah. But you also don't want to take Greenwood's goal scoring instincts away and out of him there was also just less switching amongst the forwards like early, earlier coming out of the lockdown we saw Martial Rashford and and Greenwood they did pop up anywhere and the last few games they kind of just stayed more in their position and I think that yeah, for the most part you'd see Martial kind of go to his corner in the box that he likes on the left side but for the most part, he's, yeah, he did stay centrally. Rashford wasn't really patrolling. Um, you know, I I was probably way too too quick to make the comparison, but the whole, you know, uh, Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo comparison, it yeah. was like that, that vibe of where, you know. But you know what those three the, did is those three got to the front of the net. And yeah. Martial, there are too many games. You know, he did it against Sheffield, and what happened? He scored three goals. Yep. We gave him, the, we gave him very similar balls. And he, he got those three goals. Um, he There are just too many games where he just reverts back to hanging out in that left corner. Um, at that left corner where he likes to play, where he'll score those worldies. 
from. Uh, where, and I mean, he nearly scored against Copenhagen from around there, but he's got to get towards the front like, because United are very good at getting to the byline and pumping those low balls right across the six-yard box, which if you get on the end of it, have a very high probability of ending up in the back of the net, which is why that's what they do. They don't cross the ball up because you're crossing the ball into Marcia or Rashford, who are not good with their head, to go up against two center backs. You're yep. not going to win those. So people get mad at Juan Bissaka because it looks like he's pumping in these terrible – he's putting those balls exactly where Solskjaer is telling him to, which is right on the ground and buzzing across the six. Now, you know, when it's on the ground, it's – you know, you're not going to – anybody – if there's anybody who can get there, they're going to be able to block it. Like it's not like you can hit it over the first defender. Anybody who gets in the way will be able to block it. But it looks bad because if there's nobody there, but that's not Juan Bissaka's fault. He's putting the ball where he's supposed to. Yeah, it's, it's not like we also, have a Lewandowski and Ronaldo. But you need your you need your forwards to get there to to yeah. make those runs. And there was there was one really um, noticeable, and I think it was against Copenhagen, where Juan Bissaka made that cross, and like Rashford and I think it was Bruno were the two guys in the box, and both of them were just standing there as as Juan Bissaka went to the byline. It's like. He beat his defend. He beat his defender, and it's like, okay, you know what he's gonna do now. Now you make, you gotta make the run. And Bruno made like this run towards the, from like the penalty spot to like the near post, but like perpendicular. So like not towards the near post, just more out there. And it's like you just took yourself. I'm like, yeah, you're open. There's tons of space, but. If Juan Bissaka plays that back to you and you hit that first time, like that's not a good. You don't have a good chance of scoring there because there's also been two defenders in your way and, and a goalkeeper. You you got yourself to a worse. Rashford just stood there, and it's like you need to know. On when Juan Bissaka gets the ball, that he was in the corner. It was a little bit wider than the corner of the box, outside the box, and he beat his man towards the touchline. You need to get. Uh, from right outside the box, like you need to, Bruno needs to go to the near post and Rashford needs to go to the middle at the six yard line because that's where the ball's coming. Like, and Juan Basaka delivers that with such consistency. We need the forwards to, to get there. And it, it's so obviously a coaching thing too because uh, Martial's first goal against Sheffield, how did he, how did he get scored? He how did he get scored? He went to the he went to the near post on the six yard line. Who gave him the ball? Rashford bombed it at him. You know, yep. Rashford bombed it at him. Fosu Mensa came in, and despite the fact that Fosu Mensa offered nothing in attack, whenever he did get the ball, low crosses right across the six-yard box. It, you know, it's very obvious whenever there's somebody there, Dan James was doing it at the beginning of the season too, the, the coaching instructions are clear, put it right across the six. The forwards need to make these runs. Yeah, well, and that's, that's something that Ollie's been very clear with, especially with Martial, he wants Martial to live inside the six-yard box because that's how Solskjaer was very, very successful for his entire career putting in goals. And so, and that's what you want in your ruthless killer number nine. Like, patrol that whole box, but make sure you're in that six-yard box when you need to. And then you're going to score 25, 30 goals that season. Like, right. that's why all the good ones, uh, you know, always hit these numbers. It's because they are consistently where they have to be. You know, Sergio Aguero. This is what he does. He just right. lives in that area and, and he and puts people, in tap-ins. People complain, like, where, where's the style of play? And it's like, there it is. You're like, you watch. Like, these crosses aren't being missed because United are bad or because Juan Bissaka looks up, sees players, and goes, nah, I'm going to hit it across the six to nobody anyway. It's That's the style of play. Now you just have to wait for when the when the forwards make those runs consistently, the ball's going to keep coming. Yep. And you're going to see it going to the back of the net. But, like, so right now, like, it, just because the ball's not going in the net doesn't mean there's no style of play. Like it's it's right there. We could tell because it happens so consistently. Shaw does it. Juan Basaga does it. When Rashford ends up on the right side, he does it. You know, Fosu Mensa, who had played 90 minutes on the as a left back, comes in as a right back and does it right away. Also, bombs it across the across the six yard box. There are clear instructions here. Now you just have, you know. Eventually, once the forwards get it, they'll, the ball will be going in the net far more consistently. Yep. 
So at this point, let's, <laughs> as we continue to say, it's I think it's our catchphrase at this point. Fingers crossed. Let's just get the Jaden Sancho deal done. Oh, uh, right. that'll help, help some things. The most about this game, like Bruno Fernandez didn't give the ball away. 80% passing, like, he lost it, like, three times, which is normal for a player like him. Like, he played a great game, and we just didn't didn't get it done. Yeah, it, it, I, I guess a tie a bow on this one, because at this point, 30 minutes is uh, more than enough time to talk about that game. Um, United just didn't finish their chances. It, it, it's, it, it's really just as simple as that. I mean, you pick, pick whatever numbers you want, either advanced analytics or just your box score, looking at it. United just didn't take their chances when they needed to, and they left a window open for Luke de Jong to drive a stake through our hearts. So um, it just be like that sometimes. To uh, to quote our supreme leader, it is what it is. Um, so we will take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to um, talk about some vibes, man. Just kind of how, how we're feeling after the 2019-2020 uh, uh, season that lasted for way longer than it ever had any business lasting. So stay tuned. All righty. And we are back for the second half of the Busby Bay podcast. Nathan Heinchel here along with Polly Questel. We are Colin list today. Uh, absolutely gutted for the lad. He is uh, back in school, which is too bad. However, I'm going to throw it to my man, Polly here who has, Something from a listener. Yes. The question, our question that we keep sending your questions in. Uh, what is it? Six, is it 616 or 617, Busby Bay? It, I believe it was 616 and you've been saying 617. But uh, I don't know. You're the one who set this up, not me. I know. We're, we're checking right now. This is, this is good radio. Yeah. Um, At this point, it would be better to just restart from the break, but we're just going to roll with it. We're going to roll with it. Skype is making my computer load slow, so. Um, 616, Busby Bay. Yep. Uh, there you go. You can call us, leave a voicemail, send us a text message. You can email busbybaypodcast at gmail.com with a voice note or an email. Or you can hit us up on Twitter, which is exactly what Melvin VJ did, at VJ Melvin, uh, who focusing on the fact that United lost 2-1 to Sevilla, but blew them out of the water with XG and shots and shots on target. And he asked, what would be your opinion if we swap Bruno and Pogba's position in the team? Personally, I think it would be a good move considering Pogba performed very well in the number 10 under Ali in his first 10 games. And Bruno can also carry the ball from deep. What do you think? Hmm. I mean, this is a question that we mulled over back in, June, right before the, or maybe that was May, I don't know, the months have blend together, right before the restart, when we were like, all right, are we going to see Pogba and Bruno, and where do we want to see him? Um, and I think the argument for keeping Pogba where he was at is because there isn't a better player maybe in the world um, who can just ping balls from where he likes to sit at, you know, and just quarterback that offense where, I mean, there's not a pass he can't make. Um, which is the advantage of having him where he's at. And we've had Bruno more up top because he likes to make these. Um, he, I mean, to a certain degree, he'll make an errant pass uh, like 25% of the time, but he always is looking to play these short passes forward that's catching Martial or Rashford or Greenwood on a run, um, or even where he has some interplay where Pogba all of a sudden advances and Bruno kind of drops back. Um, so... And we still see Pogba, he'll, he'll maraud up and you'll see Bruno drop back. They have that, they started to build that chemistry where they they can coordinate like that in the heat of the moment. So it's just really a matter of what are you more comfortable with as a starting position, I guess. Um, I've always wanted to see Pogba play more of a forward role because I remember, you know, what he's done playing a more advanced role. He's also probably the best header of the ball that we have on the team right now. So if you can get him more in the box, then all of a sudden um, Aaron Wan-Bissaka doesn't have to play lower crosses for Anthony Martial and Rashford. He can actually put him up, and Pogba can potentially win a ball against a, against a center back a lot better than any of our forwards can. Um, certainly going to do a lot better at that than Bruno, but I mean, I, 
this feels like rich people problems trying to figure out where our two best creative midfielders are going to play. Because either way, like, I don't think it's a disadvantage to play him if you flip-flop him or play him where they've been at because I think Bruno's got a higher motor. Um, so, I mean, if you if you want to see somebody sprint as fast as they can uh, once possession's given back, you know, Bruno's your guy. Um, but Pogba does just as good of a job with positioning, and he gets back as well. Um, it's just a matter, I guess, of perception at this point. But the uh, – I, I mean, I'd love to see us go in – bring in another really competent midfielder and then have the flexibility of being like, all right, today's the day that we play Paul at the 10. So I, I don't think it hurts us. I, I'd i like to see them be more fluid. Yes. I'd like to see them interchange more during the game. It's hard for me to say. I mean, I love Pogba as the number 10. That's what he did there when Ollie first took over was just ridiculous. But... I think you just—he's so much better as the number six slash eight than Bruno is that it's hard to take him out. He is so good defensively that, and people ne- and people don't give him any credit for that. And like you see, it was noticeable the way he was running on set pieces, getting getting out there for headers, tra- and like the way he tracks back. He does not leave midfielders exposed the way people claim he does because he's getting, he's so positionally astute um, that you want him there and he could just ping that ball forward like anybody can. I, Bruno can make those long passes too. He can carry the ball forward. He's good defensively. He's, I think he's better defensively at the number 10 position than Pogba is like running around from the front and doing the pressing and everything. I think he's better at that than, than Pogba is. I also Pogba, when Pogba gives the ball away in bad areas, it's usually just because he's too lax with the ball and he's he's trusting himself too much and, and somebody will sneak up on him. With Bruno, it's it's about your decision making and is it always is he always picking out the right pass? It's not so much that he plays difficult passes; it's um, it's the risk reward of the pass. Like you know, for example, he started out. Right off the bat against Copenhagen, he tried this back heel flick towards Greenwood first time. Insanely difficult pass, um, but low risk because it, it didn't work. But where you gave the ball to Copenhagen all the way in their own third, so they're not going to hurt you from there. And high reward. Had it worked, you got Mason Greenwood in behind. But then you go back to... Crystal Palace, where he gets the ball in his own third and he starts to bring it out and he tries to pick out Martial with this pass where maybe not the most difficult pass, but had he gotten it to Martial, Martial has two center backs on it. So Martial either would have had to let that ball, figure out a way to get that ball beyond the center backs where the goalkeeper probably, where it would have been hit with so much pace that the goalkeeper probably would have gotten to it. Or he gets the ball and there's two center backs right on it. So what's the reward of that pass? Meanwhile, and it was a high-risk pass. Meanwhile, he had either Greenwood or Juan Bissaka off on the right, and if you play out to them, low-risk pass, the re- with a higher reward, and what would have happened was one of the center backs would have had to free up Marci- would have had to leave Marcial to go play Greenwood, breaking in, and you would have gotten a chance. He picked the low, the high-risk, low-reward pass. It gets intercepted. The ball ends up in the back of our net, and we get bailed out by a very questionable VAR decision. So, Bruno, I don't know if he picks out the right pass there. I do. I do always say like, oh, but like, you want Pogba to get forward and get into the box because he's so dangerous. We saw what he did there last year. But then, you know, I was thinking about it during the game. Then you think, okay, but Wambasaka is not. His job isn't to look and be like, oh, Paul's in the box. I can play this. In the, no, his job is to pump balls across the six-yard box. We're not a team that crosses the ball in the air, except on corners. Um, so do you need Pogba in there? Or would you rather have him right on the outside of the box so that when the ball gets cleared out, it gets cleared out right to him? I, I think he's been brilliant since the lockdown because he's played such a simple game of just and allowing everybody else to to flourish. Um but I, mean, I, I would just like to see them interchange a little bit more because I think he can be so dangerous getting forward. And it's 
you you I'm not worried about leaving things vulnerable defensively because Bruno is one of Bruno's biggest talents that no one talks about and goes right under the radar. He has a very high IQ and he's very aware of what's going on and very much knows when someone pushes up, okay, we got to cover for that guy. And, you know, it's, I, I don't know if I ever put it in a post, but I have the gifts of it. Um, Maybe I tweeted about it or I think it's in some post. I don't know. There's a situation against Chelsea in the FA cup where Fred pushes up on the press and without hesitation, as soon as he pushes up to press, Bruno just simply drops back. Matic moves over from one side to the other and Bruno drops back into Fred's area. And they just, as the play progresses, the two of them are completely in line, which is exactly where you want your midfielders to be. And Bruno holds his ground there. And as soon as Fred gets back, well, you know, Chelsea established their possession. As soon as Fred gets back, with, without even talking to Fred, without even pointing it out, Bruno just, Fred falls in, and Bruno shifts right back to the number 10. Um, it, it's happened plenty of times, like Fred is pushed up, and Bruno's covered. Fred covering for, um, it was I believe against Bournemouth, Fred was covering for Shaw. And they both got caught out, and Bruno was back there to cover. Like, he's very good, so if, if Pogba pushes up, I trust Bruno will be able to, will drop back. I would I would like to see it happen more often, but I think to bring it full circle and answer the question, I think you keep it the way it is right now. I'd just like to see more fluidity with it. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. Uh, and, and yeah, like you said, let's let's if we get another midfielder in, then then it's a different it's a different story. I just Fred Matic, Matic McTominay, McTominay Fred that pair all season long, um, whether Pogba was here, whether Bruno was here, they struggled to get the ball from defense to attack. And they struggled at that last year. Remember, United's season fell apart last season when Onda Herrera got hurt. Yep. And, Pog, and Pogba's numbers dropped because suddenly he had to come all the way back the same way that Bruno constantly has to come back when Pogba's not in the field. And you take him out of the most dangerous area so yeah i'd like to see pogba play further up top but we need a midfielder that could get him the ball right so it, right now it's just bruno or pogba um, yeah so and, i mean it's a, pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty simple calculus and it it you know it, it's one of those things where it, it almost sounds dumb coming out of your mouth but basically you it the less it complicated you make the calculus for for pogba at any given point in the game like the better he's just going to play and i mean in general that's for most players. So that's why I say it sounds almost dumb to, you know, have it come out of your mouth. But at the end of the day, like, I think that's what United just needs to continue doing is make it as not, you know, just continue to keep it simple. Just do the simple things right. And it's worked. We we've seen what this team can combine to do. Right, uh, now, they just need, now they just need some depth so that they can have their players, you know, not be overwhelmed and tired doing yeah. simple, the simple things. And, the, the depth, the depth's gonna come. You just, we, we gotta be patient. The season's been over for two days, and you know the Premier League season's been over for three and a half weeks. Is it? Uh, you that know. That sounds right. About mid July. The end of July. It was like July twenty sixth. Is that what yeah. that was? Yeah, it's been. I know it kind of coincided with the uh, the the kicker season. I think so. It was kind of like a nice. Oh, I don't have to worry about United now because I have to worry about my the team I actually work for. Yeah, it's been know, it's been, been three nice. weeks. I mean, like you go online and you th- and like you look at what the fans are saying online, and it, it's almost like they're acting like the sky is falling because United haven't signed anybody. It's been three weeks. Uh, like nothing's getting done right now because players are still on holiday. Um, yeah. And they're about to come back. And, or they're busy playing a game for Dortmund. Right. But like that's Dorman's MO. Like that's what's going to happen. The Jaden Sancho transfer is not going to get done until September, yep. whether whether United offer the money right now or not. And part of it is, you know, there's a report this morning that Dortmund took more losses than ever. Dortmund needs to sell him. They need to sell him because they need the money and they need to sell him because that's their pitch. Their pitch is to these young kids is we'll give you a path to the first team. And when you want to leave, we won't stand in your way. So if they stand in Sancho's way, well, they, they blocked up Holland and they blocked up Bellingham. They don't have control over Holland. That's why United backed out of the deal, because they said, 
Mino Rayola has control over Holland. When Mino Rayola decides it's time to sell Erling Holland, Dortmund don't have any power to stand in his way. Nope. They do have that power with Bellingham, but if they stand in Sancho's way and it gets ugly, then, you know, um, the next youngster that comes along may think twice about signing with them. And well, and that, that's the one thing that's keeping me probably from spinning off my top and overreacting because it's, it really is starting to have those parallels of the Bruno deal in January. Um, I, you know, we saw reports. It was like, this thing's done. Like Bruno is coming to Manchester United. And then he played in the Lisbon Derby and everyone's like, is he not well, there coming were, now? There like, reports, why would we let him play were in that game? That, well, there were reports that like sporting were dragging their feet yeah, because they wanted him to play in that Lisbon Derby. And they were saying, no, this deal's not good. This deal's not good. And then like right after the Lisbon Derby, it was the same deal suddenly is good enough. But also look at what happened there. They, they is, had financial issues and they needed to sell that player and get that money in. But they want their their asking price was about 60 million euros. And that's what it was around last was last summer. But last summer, United weren't in it. They were just they sporting kept dropping United's name in, which are, understandably pissed the hell out of United off because it created such a negative whirlwind from the fan base. They. Made, and, then, made, and then we actually had midfielders go down. We're like, why don't we have this player? And then, and then we're like, well, this. But also, Bruno Fernandez from September to January was a far different player than Bruno Fernandez was from last January to May. Yep. He was much improved, and it was worth it. But United made the collective decision between Woodward and Solskjaer and the scouts. They didn't. They did not pursue him last summer, and it drove them nuts that. Sporting were winding up this fan base and turning the fan base against against Woodward because you know he they already hate him and not for not for poor reasons. Some of them like there are that that's what's that's what's ridiculous is there are so many legitimate good reasons to hate Ed Woodward and say he's been doing a bad job. Stop picking the ones that aren't true. Um, and like what ended up happening was you, as soon as United threw their ring, their hat in the ring. That that price went from hey we want sixty million to we want eighty, and United managed to knock it back down to like they, they ended up spending like forty six million uh, in pounds on Bruno Fernandez, and that price can rise to sixty seven, as high as sixty seven, which is everybody wins there because look if, if Bruno Fernandez wins the Champions League and he wins the Ballon d'Or. Um, as long we will as happily pay that money. Yeah, as long as he's not on loan winning it for somebody else, like we will happily pay that money. And Sporting get to turn around and they get to say, well, we had to sell him and because you know, we, we wanted $80 million, and they, they get to claim that $80 million as the total package, even though they're not going to see all that. Yeah, and same thing with the Martial deal to Monaco. Exactly. We ended up paying $43 million for Martial, and the song still goes $50 million. Um, So, so it's Sporting. That's, and that's the same thing that Dortmund are doing now is yeah. we're, we're trying to figure out a, a structure to these payments because uh, – and frankly, we're probably trying to negotiate down the price. But no matter what, Dortmund aren't going to sell him now because if they do that, then it looks like it's open season on them. It looks like you just have to come in and, and our – so they're going to hold on to their players the same way that Ed Woodward last year said we're not selling Paul Pogba unless we get what we want for. And that bid never came in. Eventually, it's going to get to the point that Jaden Sancho is going to have to say, I want to leave. He will not do that until it's a last resort. You know, people are bringing up Osman Dembele and how he went on strike from Dortmund. He played in the German Super Cup a week before the season started. He played in that game on Saturday. And on Monday, he didn't show up to work. And he said, you got to push me through. And that's when they pushed him through. My, my personal anecdote, I watched Neymar play in person for Barcelona, and then three days later, he signed for PSG. Yeah. He was in D.C. and played for Barcelona. I watched him score on David De Gea, and then he start, he signed with PSG like four days later. Like, you know that was already done and dusted. Right, and it's it, – but, but this is what Dortmund do. Like, Jadon Sancho is playing in the preseason because they are holding that line of we plan on having him in our team. They started preparing for him, for him to leave back in January. Then they promoted Gio Reyna to the first team. Then what they do they after lockdown. Gio too. <laughs> what they do after lockdown. They uh, Jaden Sancho wasn't even in the eleven in their first game back. In their first two games back, they they didn't start him consistently because they were like, well, you're not going to be here next year, and 
you know, the title race really has to break exactly perfectly for us. Uh, and it's not. So we're not going to win the title. We're going to be in the Champions League. Might as well get these other kids in there. And Sancho played, but he didn't play as much as he had been playing prior to the lockdown. They know he's not going to be here, but they keep this company line so that they could say, we didn't sell until United met our asking price. We said X amount of money. United came X amount of money or until Jaden Sancho says, guys, I want to leave. And he has told them that privately. There, there have been plenty of private talks, but they're not going to do But when it, when it gets public, that's when it gets up. And that's a last resort for Sancho because he's got signing bonuses. He's got loyalty payments. There's plenty yeah. of payments and stuff in his contract that as soon as he asks for a transfer and submits a transfer request, he has to forfeit all that. So yep. he can still go Anthony Davis if he really wants to. He can he'll find his way to Manchester United if he wants to move. Yeah, financially. It it it's in the player's best interest to ride this out and hope he um, hope it gets worked out. On the other side, the, the, then all the fans say, well, we need to wrap this up early so he gets here for preseason. All right, let me let me break this down for you. United just lost in the Europa League. They now have two weeks off. Their players are getting two weeks. Relax, unplug, don't think about anything. Then they will start reporting back to Carrington in two weeks. Some of them, most of them, will be going to meet up with their national teams because there are Nations League games for over the next, over a course of a week. So some will, you know, uh, probably not even Scott McTominay because he'll be with Scotland. Um, but like Phil Working Jones. Magic, Magic Rashford. Phil Jones will be with the team and uh, Nathan Bishop. We'll be with the team. And, uh, That's Mason, my guy right there. Getting his jersey. Mason Greenwood could be with England. He could be if, if England's U23s or U21s are playing. They don't have U23s at the international level. If the U21s are playing, he could be with them. If they're not, then he could be at Carrington. But for the most part, uh, most of these guys are going to be with their national teams. Then they will come back a week before the season, and that's when United will start preseason. So that's in, a, that's in three weeks or a month from now. That's when you need Jaden Sancho to walk in. And by the way, like big deals, they always drag out to the end. And guess what? You could walk right into the team. Paul Pogba's deal. That was the first, we knew that was the first deal that was going to be made that, that summer. As soon as Jose Mourinho came in, the entire Euros, we knew Paul Pogba was coming. By the time United got to the United States for their preseason tour, people had Paul Pogba number six shirts. That they were saying United made it a point to release their squad numbers and left number six open. And everybody's like, huh, I wonder what's happening there. I wonder why. Yeah. Well, He's, we did that with uh, Lukaku. We were in the United States and he was like posting pictures in LA and then he yeah, was announced. But he, but he signed a, he signed earlier than he still signed in July. Uh, and he was in the United States, so he was able to meet up with the team. Yeah. Pogba missed the preseason and then missed the first game because he was suspended. But then he walked into the team and get and like did we miss a beat? No. Uh, we won two trophies that year. We won our first three games. Harry Maguire, his, we knew he was the first signing we were making last summer. It dragged on till August, and he walked right into the team. Like, Jaden Sancho can walk into the team. We don't need him for preseason because we're not going to have one. But think about this. Dortmund haven't played a game since a week before United played, basically um, the day before United played Chelsea in the FA Cup semifinal. So in terms of match fit, what do you want him to do? Sign for United today so that he then gets another two weeks off? In terms of match fitness, he's building it up right now with Borussia Dortmund. He's getting the preseason that he needs. Because yep. then he's going to go play with England. And then he's going to come. United are going to have an extra week off before the season starts. You don't want him not playing. You don't want him getting another two weeks off now and then maybe getting injured again when he's, when he's on England duty. So you want him playing preseason games for Dortmund and getting his match fitness up. It's going to take time. Like everybody's just got to relax because this is just, this is how it works. Chelsea have completed two deals already. Um, they signed ZH back in February and they signed Timo Werner because he had a release clause. Like that was easy. We didn't have to negotiate. We just called them up. We said, here's the money. And they go, yep, we have to let you, we have to let you sign. Uh, you know, City moved in and signed Nathan Ake for $41 million. Well, when we were rumored to be with Nathan Ake and I said, good signing, people were like, whoa, $40 million? No way. I like, can't sign him at that price. Well, did City try to knock it down? Nope. 
They called Bournemouth. Bournemouth said $41 million. So he said, cool, because money doesn't matter to them because they are an oil conglomerate. Yep. You know, if we if we were to, if Dortmund just said $120 million and we said, sure, no problem, guess what? We don't have that kind of money because then Aston Villa will say $80 million for Jack Grealish, and they're not going to budge on that. And we don't have that kind of money to then sign the necessary players that we need because we don't have as much money as City. But guess what we do? We have spent more than every other team in in Europe besides Manchester City. We have a net spend higher than everybody else since Edward Ward took over. So I don't say we're not spending money. And let's not forget the business that Barcelona has been doing. <laughs> right. We're not spending. We weren't spending it smartly at yep. the beginning of the Edward Ward era. But in the last year, there is a clear plan. You know, Solskjaer has identified Jane and Sancho for 18 months now. Like you can, if you're at Woodward, especially when Solskjaer said last year, I need Harry Maguire. He's my number one guy, not a defender, but Harry Maguire. And that worked. And, you know, all the signings have worked. If you're, these are, these guys, it's not like they're sitting around right now going, what should we do? Like they have had meetings all season. They have planned this out. They know what they're doing. We're just in that lull of a, of the transfer season where deals just don't really happen. Think about on a normal season, the season ends, and like for a week, all these teams move quickly and make some signings, and then nothing really happens until like the final week of June. Yep. Well, we're in that like June period right now. And next week when players start getting back, like we'll see some deals falling. But with like the, hopefully they wrap up some other deals in the meantime, but like the Sancho one, that's not happening until September. Yeah, I think that would quell probably some of the anxiety if it was announced that we were – you know, we had some kind of midfielder, anybody else other than like a guy who's probably going to just fit into our academy. Like if we if we had a signing that's like, hey, this person's going to play on Saturdays, I think it would probably make people feel a little bit more comfortable. But at the end of the day, too, like we have to remember um, there's a lot of things that go into it. I mean, frankly, the Sancho deal is probably going to be a top five world record signing. Like, right. And it I, has I, to be complicated just by virtue of how much money and how many things that are going to happen in this deal that have to happen to make it work financially, to make it work, you know, inside the FIFA fair play rules, just at currency conversion, all that, all the bullshit that you have to deal with just with, I mean, it's not easy. It's, it's difficult enough making a $15 million deal. I mean, this is, this is going to be a hundred million euros. Like there's so many moving parts to transfers these yeah. days. It's so ridiculous. It's so complicated, but and I'm, I completely agree with you. It would ease the anxiety of a lot of people if we announced the signing. It doesn't have to be Sancho. But, um, like, if we were to say, okay, fine, like, we'll move on to Jack Grealish right now. What's going to happen? We'll call up Aston Villa and they go, $80 million. And we go, all right, like, let's knock this down. Well, Aston Villa are in the same spot as Dortmund. They kind of need to sell him. He's a marketable asset. They know he wants to leave. But... They need to appear strong and they need to say and they're not and they're going to drag it out until the very end also so that at the very end they'll say, well, United ponied up the money. But until they have to sign. But, you know, until they're not going to come to an agreement until the end when it's like, well, we have to get rid of him and he wants and and the player wants to move and Grealish openly speaks. That's not going to happen, you know, before preseason even starts. And. The idea that like we can only do one signing at a time. I know like we only announce one at a time, as most teams do. But like like I said, we knew Paul Pogba was the first signing that we were gonna make. We knew he was coming from the end of May all the way up until August. It didn't happen until August. We still signed Mkhitaryan, Ibrahimovic, Bai. You know those were easy deals to complete because those that's not where the spotlight is. So we call up a team, we work out a deal. Okay, done. Yep. You would like to think um, with the Leipzig result, we're already on the phone right now for Opamakano. Yeah, you'd like to think that. Uh, Make it happen. It was our first target, and he dragged it all the way on to August, and we still signed Daniel James. Juan Bissaka took a little bit longer because that was also a prominent player. But, like, the smaller deals, we get done. The last time that we have had – also, like, the transfer window ain't closing anytime soon. It's not closing until October. Now, I, I agree that we want to have these guys in by game one um, and not doing that is, is bad. I I think it's overblown to get them in by preseason, especially this year when preseason doesn't exist. But other than, you know, the, the marquee big name size, the Pogba's, the Maguire's, 
all the other players we've gotten done by preseason. The last time, the last player that we signed after the season had already started was Anthony Morcial. That was four years ago. Yep. Well, and, you know, the Air can't their season, so maybe we've been on the phone about uh, Vandebeek, and maybe we just right. announce them tomorrow. That'd be yeah. sick. Well, people just need to calm down. Like, yeah, league going was like, canceled oh, in February. Like everybody has, March. everybody has this idea that if we don't do, like, we're not going to make a single signing until after Sancho, and it's like, no, like we McGuire was the first signing that we tried to make last year, and we made two others before we locked him down, and you know. Yesterday, I, I put it on Twitter. I said, find me, name one player who we didn't sign because we ran out of time. Not because we didn't have the money or because we turned him down or because what, any of those, because we ran out of time. And you can't name one. Yeah. Well, no one maybe did. We're, we're just waiting for uh, Leon to hoist the Champions League trophy, and then we're going to announce Memphis's buyback. So there's yeah. lots of options. Come on, guys. Let's just let's enjoy like two weeks without football because it's it, there, there's been a lot going on. Right. Just, and I mean, that's the other thing is teams have been still playing like yeah. you know, Chelsea fans aren't complaining about that, that they haven't signed Kai Havertz yet. And well, apparently right. a deadline has been announced for that one. Well, like, a deadline. Bayer Leverkusen came out and said we're not selling him until after the Europa League. And I can, you know, seeing that Timo Werner, who had that release clause that expired in June, so, like, they had to move, but then having him opt out of the Champions League because he wanted to get ready to play with Chelsea, I could see why RB Leipzig would be like, hi, we're not taking calls until after the Champions League. Well, that was super awkward because we've seen both Timo Werner not play for the team that he was with and now Leroy Sané choosing to practice with Bayern Munich versus, you know, playing for Manchester City. It's kind of, that's just one of those weird intricacies, you know, things that we're going to look back on this season and be like, man, COVID really, really shit up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a weird time. It's an unprecedented time, but also like, just relax. Like when everybody needs to take a deep breath, Stop thinking that the world is ending because it's been three weeks and they haven't made a signing yet. There's still more than 50% of the window to go. And, you know, other than the year that Mourinho laid out a long list of bad long-term signings and the board didn't back him because they realized that what Mourinho was doing was unsustainable. It was raising the wage bill. They were spending, you want William and Alderbarrel? <laughs> they were spending more money every year and not bringing any in, which was putting them into financial to FFP hell. Their hands were severely tied, which we are still in. Like I was yeah. looking at the numbers today, and between us and Chelsea, and it's like, hey, look at that, Chelsea after right after Mourinho, like for like four years, their wage bill was highest when Mourinho was there. And yep. the two years after Mourinho, they had to cut back their spending and slash their wage bill. You you have to clean up Mourinho's mess. And that last year, United kind of realized, like, wait, we can't spend wildly every year on win-now players, especially after you watch them, um, you know, in Pep's first season, we finished, what, two points behind City? And then we finished how far behind City in, in Mourinho's first season? And that was his and, best season. And well, no, and then the second season. Or the second season, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we could be Juventus oh, no, and no, Barcelona Pep's, right now. In Pep's first season, we finished. We're at. We finished sixth. Pep finished. I don't know, but we went from two points and fifth place behind City in fourth place, and we brought it. They brought in Pep. We brought in Mourinho. We finished sixth. They finished where? Uh, then they finished. First, we finished second, but 19 points behind it. It was clear. We lost. We lost the Pep Mourinho thing. Mourinho wasn't going to keep keep the pace. And while Pep was signing young players, Mourinho was trying to sign win-now players. And United's board realized that's unsustainable. Yep. And we can't do that. And that was the only time that they didn't back the manager. Every other year, like, with the exception of the David Moyes year where Woodward – you know, got the job and he was excited to make a splash and he got used by everybody from Sergio Ramos to Gareth Bale and, and 
messed up a Fellaini deal and landed with only Fellaini, which is hilariously bad, but also a player that David Moyes wanted. He has basically delivered. It, it might not happen in the amount of time that we want it to happen. And it might not be the right players. Like, why would you sign Memphis Depay and Angel Di Maria for Louis van Gaal? You know, they are not Louis van Gaal players. Um, they would be only players. Yeah. So, you know, he, he was bad in terms of picking the players. But now that United have gotten that squared up and they have a much better system in place to do it, like, let him work because he has delivered before. Yeah. And, and if you guys can't hear the pain already in Polly's voice, I'll give you a little moment of inside baseball uh, in the Slack channel. He was lamenting the fact that your guys' bad opinions have turned him into an Edward World and Edward Word and uh, Glazer's apologist. So please stop driving this kid down to madness. Yeah, I mean, I hate Edward Word. I, I think he's terrible at <laughs> his job. But like, there's, like I said, there are a lot of reasons why he's bad at his job. Pick one of the legitimate ones. Don't make up a story that's that has no start. Oh, like we, oh, you know. We always do this one thing at a time thing, and it causes us to miss out on our best player. It doesn't. You know, the deals get done eventually. We or someone today, oh, David Gill, always got deals done on time. Like Robin Van Persie was brought in so late that he couldn't start the first game for United. Carlos Tevez didn't arrive until after the first game of the season. Dimitar Berbatov didn't arrive until three games into the season. You know, that's it. The big deals take time. The little deals get to be wrapped up first. It's just a weird time right now. Players are still on holiday. They're just coming back to preseason now in England. In Germany, they're already going, but just relax. And and look, uh, if they don't get it done, if he doesn't land, I mean, if he doesn't land Jaden, if he doesn't land Jaden Sancho until after the first game, I will be the first one yelling at him, and I'll be the first one to say I was wrong here. If he doesn't land Jaden Sancho at all, I will be the first one to admit that I was wrong and absolutely say that this is a complete failure because she We're going to have to move on to a different player at that point. But he's, he is, he's your manager's number one target. If you, if you fail to land that went with the, with the muscle that Manchester United have, then you can't be in this job. Then that, that's an abs. Like if you bring him in a week late, that is a failure on your part, but you got the job done. But if you, if that deal falls apart, you don't get it done at all. Then yeah, you, you can't, be there um so yeah if, if things do go wrong like i'll be the first to admit that, that i was wrong but like right now just looking at historically like he does end up getting it done just not as fast as we want him to yep well we'll leave it there um that this concludes another edition of the Jaden sancho podcast brought to you by the busby babe um god just sign Jaden sancho i know oh. right I'm just so ready to see him in a zebra kit while like a new Dave song is playing when they announce him. Oh my God, it's going to be so great. But so yeah, I've been Nathan. Oh, and I've been Polly. <laughs>